Bless the Lord. So 1 Corinthians chapter 6, starting to read at verse 15. It says, Know you not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know you not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two, saith he, shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Amen. Uh, If you want a title this morning, I'm speaking loosely about the subject of the body of Christ. And about halfway through this sixth chapter of 1 Corinthians, if you backtrack, you'll be able to see that, Paul gives us a list of sinful actions or conducts that will prevent us from inheriting the kingdom of God. Uh, What that means, basically, is that we will be excluded from, both in the present and in eternity, from the kingdom of God if we continue to participate in those sinful behaviors. And you can read some of those later. But then he goes on to remind us that after he reads this list of sins and sinful actions, that such were some of us. But, and I'm really glad for that little three-letter word in that verse, But we have been washed, we have been sanctified, we have been justified in the name of Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. He then goes on, as we read, to write about the particularly destructive nature of fornication. He doesn't suggest that it is a greater sin than others in terms of keeping us out of heaven, but it has... Sometimes more than other sins, it has more severe consequences in this life, in the present, in the way it impacts us and our lives. And he states in verse 16 that when people fornicate, they shall be one flesh. There is a coming together there in that sin that is part of why it is so destructive. But he says, rather we as the church should be joined to the Lord and be in one spirit. And in separating ourselves from sin and being filled with the Holy Ghost, we become the temples of the Holy Ghost. Our individual bodies become temples. Brother Frost, I believe, under the direction of the Lord, led us in several songs that, that spoke to us about that this morning. We become the temples of the Holy Ghost, and our bodies no longer belong to us, but they belong to Him because He has purchased us. He has paid We are bought with a price, verse 20 says. But verse 15 of 1 Corinthians 6 tells us that when these individual temples come together, they are the members of Christ. They are the members of Christ. Just leave those up until I give you another one, please, Justin. Thanks, buddy. In Romans 12, verses 4 and 5, just to further establish this idea, it says, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many 
are one body in Christ and everyone members one of another. The same theme is repeated in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 12 to 14 where it says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. There's a repeated emphasis in this passage on the fact that while we are all individual members, we are a part of one body. So we can see, and I'm going to teach for a little bit before I get to where I feel like the Lord wants us to go, but we can see that individuals, you and I, that are born again of water and spirit are temples of that spirit. But we are also members of the body of Christ. Individual temples come together collectively to make up the body of Christ. And we could say that groups or congregations such as this one are in a sense the body of Christ or they are our our local portion of that body. But we are also members of a larger body which is both national and international. We have our brother from Pakistan. He's from a long, long way away. But we are part of the same body of Jesus Christ. Amen. Technically speaking, there is only one body of Christ, the church, both past, present, and future. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 4 and 4, there is one body and one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling. But in a local context, week in, week out, Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights here at Northside, this is our body of Christ or our local part of the body. I don't think we're an arm or a leg or a kneecap, but we can consider, think about ourselves as the body of Christ, but understanding that we are part of a greater whole. Certainly not standing here suggesting that if you're not in Northside Pentecostal Church, you're not a part of the body of Christ. That is not my message, but I'm just conveying that concept this morning. Now, when we think about the body of the Lord, in 1 Timothy 2 and 5, Paul wrote to the young man that he was mentoring, we would say, nowadays. And he said, for there is one God. Can we get First Timothy 2 and 5, please? Thank you. There is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And so in the humanity, in the body of Jesus Christ, was the provision or the mechanism, or the means whereby he could bring together two things that were incompatible, a holy God and sinful mankind. The two were incompatible, they were separated, there was no way naturally for us to cross that barrier. And because God was holy and God is a spirit, he could not defile himself. And so the manifestation of God in flesh provided the means to bring together two things that were incompatible. And by identifying with us in his flesh and bearing our punishment, the Lord was able to provide access for us to that spirit which had been manifest in his flesh. But beyond that, beyond just doing that, he also brought the kingdom which is to come into our present He brought that into our... Now, I'm not suggesting that heaven is here on earth. But what I'm saying is that the the kingdom of God, when we think about the fullness or the completion 
of God's kingdom, it will be that place where everything is in perfect submission to him. We could talk about heaven. We could get into prophecy and talk about the millennial reign, but that's not what I'm on about this morning. That will be the complete fulfillment. But in a partial sense, we are now in that kingdom as his sons and daughters. Amen. Because when we are born again, we become his children. And as his children, we enter his kingdom. Kingdom being a place where a king has dominion. So if he rules and reigns in my life and in your life and in our lives, then we are, in a sense, in the kingdom of God. And we can, we can go back and look at a lot of the parables in Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, and through the gospels, and those things apply to us in the present. Amen. So we find ourselves, in a certain way, as dual citizens of two worlds. Of two worlds. We are living for the next world. I hope this morning we're all living for the next world. I hope that's why we're living. That we, you know, the, the book of Hebrews talks to us about being sojourners, about being strangers. We're, we're just passing through. That our hope is in heaven. The Lord said, lay up treasures in heaven. That's the, that's the world that we are living for. But our bodies, this natural life, is still very much subject to this world. We still had to sleep last night. We still had to wake up this morning and I guess most of us didn't bounce out of bed. Some of the stranger ones among us maybe bounce out of bed. Most of us were a little bit groggy. Usually when I get up, one of the very first things that happens is coffee. That's why they say it's so water is vital for life, because without water you can't make coffee. We all still have the limitations of this. Many of us are dealing with the flus and colds of the season. That's because in this body, we're still very much in this kingdom. We're still in the world that we live in. Amen. But spiritually, spiritually, we are already experiencing a taste of the world which is yet to come. That's why in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13 and 14, it says, In whom you also trusted. After that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after you believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest, the down payment, the deposit, that which is given to us to secure us of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of His glory. So we know that when we are filled with the Spirit of God, we have a deposit that is from that kingdom, that is from what the Lord is preparing us for. But it is the earnest. It is, that the, it is not the complete package. That, that, that purchase, if you like, will be finished or completed when he returns for his church. But right now we are in a place where we are able to taste and to experience the things of God. But there is coming a time when that will be completed. And it's, I haven't got it on my scriptures there, but in 1 Corinthians 15, where it talks about in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall be changed. That's when everything will be finished and finalized. But for the moment, the picture that this idea paints to us helps us to understand the battle that we find ourselves in. A sinful world is still fighting, trying to hold us within its clutches, while a heavenly kingdom wants us to draw nearer to it. And we find ourselves in that point where those two kingdoms overlap. And the decisions that you and I make on a daily basis determine which kingdom and the authority of which kingdom we submit ourselves to. 
the Bible lets us know that the devil is the prince of the power of the air, that this, this earthly realm is where he has dominion. But it also tells us that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so there are different powers and authorities, and who I choose to serve determines which kingdom I am a citizen of. Amen. I hope everybody's with me thus far. Amen. We know that in his body, <coughs> excuse me, in the humanity of Jesus Christ, the fullness of God resided. Colossians 2 and 9 should hopefully be on that list. Brother Justin, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Jesus Christ, there is the perfect union of humanity and divinity that we are yet fully able to comprehend. We can talk about it. We can say, yes, we believe there is one God. God is a spirit. He was manifest in flesh. But trying to actually get down to how that is possible is challenging for us. I can look at the scripture and I can see his divinity. I can look at the scripture and I can see his humanity. But understanding exactly how he did what he did. That's why the Bible says great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. It's a statement. It's not an explanation. It's a statement, and we are expected to believe it because God said it. Amen. Amen. Colossians 1, 18 to 19 says that he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Amen. God was manifest in the flesh. But for the church to be born, for the church to be born, that which was contained within him, if I can put it that way, had to be released. There had to be, his body had to be broken. It had to be bruised. It was battered, we might say, and ultimately it died. Otherwise, without that, we could marvel at who Jesus was. We could say, wow, he's God manifest in the flesh. But without the breaking of that body, we could not experience what we do right now. We could not come into God's house and worship the Lord and enter His presence and feel His Spirit moving among us without Him being willing to submit that body to the punishment that He took in our place. In fact, in Mark 14 and verse 22, and I've got a lot of Scripture, but it says, As they did eat, Jesus took bread and blessed and break it and gave it to them and said take eat this is my body and he took the cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them and they all drank of it and he said unto them this is my blood of the new testament which is shed for many we read those verses that we find at the end of the gospels we read them in connection with first corinthians 11 about the the communion table and that's often the way that we view those things but when the Lord was sitting at that table or reclining at that table, whatever he was actually doing, and he took that bread in his hands and he broke it, he knew what in a matter of hours his body was going to go through. And so when he broke that bread and he said, this is my body, it wasn't, we understand they were tokens, but there's a lot more weight in that. The word token sometimes, you know, it's something you put in a game to make a game start. But it's an emblem. It was a statement. He was saying, it, it was it's this, this bread, it's, it's nourishment. But for you to actually have that nourishment, it needs to be broken. That what was within him 
might be released. Amen. Now we understand, or at least I believe most of us do, that for Christ to live in us, it's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. We sing that song, you need to stop and think about that first time, and it's no longer I that liveth. What does that mean? That means that I'm dead. We, we, sometimes we sing and we think it's an exchange. You know, I just, I've just taken life from him and everything's great. But if I'm not living, and he is, two of us can't live together. We have to die. We understand we must die to self. There is a repeated scriptural concept of taking up our cross, of presenting our bodies a living sacrifice, of us decreasing and him increasing, of Christ being formed in us. That scripture, that, that concept is repeated again and again throughout the New Testament. And we usually view those ideas or those concepts through the lens of an individual. In other words, I must crucify my flesh. You must crucify your flesh. It is your personal relationship. It is your personal responsibility. If you want the power of the Lord in your life, you must do that as an individual. And that is true. I believe that with all my heart this morning. But the Lord doesn't only want to reveal himself through you and I, or you and me, for you grammar people, whichever one's right, you can take your pick. But he wants to reveal himself through us. Not just me, not just you, but us. This is really where I'm getting to today. There are definitely times that we go through experiences and processes of refining as individuals. We need them. God needs to work in us. But there are also times when as a body, His body, we have to be broken like the Passover bread. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7 says this, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Paul wrote these words, if you look at the context, speaking about those that ministered with him, that they were willing to endure difficulties that the gospel might be preached. But it's not exclusive to Paul and those other ministers and their experience. It also applies to the whole church. If the life of Jesus is going to be manifest through us, then the dying of Jesus is escapable, inescapable, sorry, for us. He's talked, he said, bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Why? That the life of Jesus might be manifest. The two cannot be separated in us. And I believe this morning, rather, I'm confident enough to say I know this morning, that at present, we as a church, as a body, are going through some difficulties, some challenges. Some of it's spiritual opposition, some of it's not. And they may be things that we have not faced as a body before. I'm hearing 
conversations that people are having with me of struggles in so many lives, of, of battles in a, in a wholesale sense that it's more than just individual. There's something that's happening as a body. And many of you have shared some of your thoughts with that on me and, and the things you feel like the Lord has showed you in prayer that confirm that to me. Now, Colossians, we read Colossians earlier, and it speaks of all the fullness of God being in the man Christ Jesus, and so it should. That's accurate. But if you will look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 20, it says, Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. So keeping in mind that the fullness of God was manifest in Jesus Christ. In this passage in Ephesians, Christ is raised from the dead. He is set at the right hand of God, which we understand is not two separate persons, but rather it is the place of power and authority. He is set there in heavenly places, and everything in this world and that which is to come is under his feet, and he is the head of the church. But then the next verse, verse 23 of Ephesians 1, continuing in the same flow, which is his body, that's the church, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. So while the fullness of the Godhead was manifest in Jesus Christ, now the writer of Ephesians says that it is in his body, in the church, is the fullness of him that filleth all in all. If I've got that wrong, our National Bible School director can sort me out afterwards. But that's how I read the Scripture, because when you read on in chapter 2 and verses 5 and 6, it says, Even when we were dead in sins, have quickened us together with Christ, that word means made alive, by grace you are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we were dead and had to be made alive. We had to be raised or resurrected just like the Lord did. Different reasons, but same experience. And as his body, we are seated with him in heavenly places. The scripture says that's where he is, but then it says that's where we are. We are together with him. So I'm not preaching a crazy doctrine about us being God, but the fullness of God is not revealed in us in the way it was in him because we are imperfect we are flawed we are humanity but and we do not have the perfect union that he had but i believe it is god's ongoing desire and process to continue to reveal himself and the fullness of himself through his body which he is the head of which is the church it's very quiet in here is everybody with me Oh, don't check out on me just yet. i got pages to go. No, not too much. Not too much. I'm kidding. 
So his body was broken. I'm, I'm deliberately, I'm not speaking slowly because I'm in a different language area. I'm trying not to go too quickly so I don't lose anybody or lose myself, more importantly. His body in the natural was broken in punishment for our sins. He went to Calvary. His body had to be broken to release that which was contained within him that we might experience it, that we might be born again, that we might become the sons and daughters of God. Our body, not this carcass, but corporate church, body of Christ, is broken to crucify flesh and to release that same power of God. There's the parallel between the two. And I believe that what we are experiencing as a church is preparation so that God will cause us to draw near to Him so that He can demonstrate more of His fullness in us. Amen. So the things that we are going through as a body, now I know everybody's got individual situations as well. We're not some weird cult where we're all just zombies. Everybody's got their individual relationship with God and that's at a different place for every person. But as a body, the things that are taking place should not surprise us. And yet, because of our human nature, it always seems to. Whenever things begin to happen that aren't the flavor we like or the temperature we like or the circumstance we like, we go, why is this happening? What have I done wrong? When in fact, I believe that it is because of what we have done right. Since the beginning of this year, and even before that, there has been a stepping up. There has been, to use a multiplicity of expressions, a raising of the bar, a gear change, if you like, particularly in prayer in our church. Amen. Many of you have spoken, some of you have testified, Brother Frost even ministered to us after the youth camp on that Wednesday night, about new commitments to prayer, about greater discipline, about some of the experiences that you've been having in prayer that you would never had before, of, of enjoying prayer, of a new understanding of our relationship with God, which has transformed our prayer lives. Amen. Our men's prayer meetings have seen powerful moves of the Holy Ghost. And I'm told, I don't attend, but I'm told the ladies' prayer meetings have as well. Both of these prayer meetings have seen an increase in recent times in attendance. And the power of the Lord is meeting with them. When our young people came home from conference in January, a group of them decided to meet on Saturday nights to pray at the church. Nobody, I didn't ask them to. It wasn't structured. Nobody said, you all have to be here. But of their own volition, of their own intent, they said, we want to get together and pray. And every Saturday night for I don't know how long, but for a long time, our young people were down here praying for two to three hours on a Saturday night. Now, you cannot, and this is in bold font, so I emphasize it, you cannot increase that level of spiritual activity and pursuit of God and not see opposition. Because when we begin to go after the Lord with more enthusiasm, with more passion, with more willingness to sacrifice and pray and fast and seek the face of God, it is going to bring a response. And yet we go, what is happening? Because that's what we do. That's what I do. I go, Lord, what's going on? What have we done? 
But the devil wants us to be distracted and thinking that we've done something wrong when the reality is it is a product of the things that we have done right. And we need to remember that. When Brother and Sister Sham were here in June, on the Monday morning we had a ministers and leaders session here with them and then several of the, the young people came to our house that afternoon just to talk to them. And he said something while we were chatting with him that I was reminded of the other day. And this is what he said. He said that when a church, in his experience, and his observation, and I have a fair amount of confidence in that, I have to say. In his observation, when a church congregation pursues God, when they increase that pursuit and that focus, the opposition becomes the most intense just prior to a breakthrough. I believe that's scriptural. I don't think that's some, something that Brother Sham's come up with by himself. Now, I do not enjoy opposition any more than you do. But we cannot stop now. We cannot stop now. Because we are at a point where the devil is causing us and opposing us, trying to get us to take our eyes off the ball and reduce the heat, if you like. It is time to turn the heat up and to push and to press and to continue to go after the things of God. Philippians 3 and verse 20 says, For our conversation, our lifestyle, our conduct is in heaven. Now, we're not in heaven yet, but that kingdom, we're already partaking in some of that now. From whence also we look for the Savior. He's our hope, the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 21 says, Who shall change our vile body? Now, that's not talking about your physical body that it may be fashioned like under his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able to subdue all things unto himself. So our vile body, that's talking about the lower, the carnal, the temporal things, are being changed to be like his glorious body. That speaks to us of the rapture, of the resurrection, when the Lord comes back for his church. But I also believe it has application in the present. There are several scriptures that are similar. Romans 8 and 11 says, If the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Now we know that the Holy Ghost is the Spirit of resurrection. It is that Spirit that when the trumpet sounds that will cause us to meet the Lord in the air. But that quickening or that becoming alive also happens now. If we will take these mortal bodies, this carnal nature, and put it to death, His Spirit will quicken us and make us alive in the present, which again is a taste and looking ahead to the completion of our salvation. Amen. In 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, the apostle said, But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. I believe the Scripture endorses the idea that this changing of our vile body, that this quickening that comes from the Holy Ghost will be when the Lord returns, but it is also happening right now from glory to glory. There is a process where he is fashioning us into an image that we would become more and more like him. 
that in his body, as he works on us, he would be able to reveal and release more of his fullness. Amen. So the changing of our vile body, we've already touched this, but it will be complete at the return of our Lord. But he wants to transform us now. That's why there are so many scriptures that Romans 12, where it talks about presenting our bodies. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, I think it is, where it says you put off the old man, you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and you put on the new man. This is a process that is happening in the present. It will be completed in the future. But it is happening now because he has brought together the kingdom of God and sinful humanity that we can say that now are we the sons of God. John chapter 1, the the scripture says, to as many as received him gave he power to become. First John says, beloved, now are we the sons of God. So there is fulfillment happening in the present that will be completed in the future when he comes back. I hope you're understanding what I'm saying today. God is working on us individually, and I'm glad for that. I'm glad he's still changing me. I'm glad he hasn't cast me aside. He's still working. He's still molding. He's still fashioning. And I hope that that's your heart's desire as well. But he is also working on us as a body, as his body, that which he is the head of, that he desires to reveal himself in and through. Bless the Lord. Colossians chapter 3. We've nearly run out of scriptures to read. Colossians chapter 3. In verse 12, it says this, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, that's you and I this morning, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye, do ye, his body, his body. And above all these things, put on charity or love, which is the bond of perfectness. It's what makes us complete, what holds us together in that complete state. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called into what? In one body. And be ye thankful. While we are going through some of these things, while we are being broken as a body not broken in the sense of destruction but in the sense that god might be revealed we need to take care that we think about passages like this in our relationships with one another because it's when there's opposition it's very easy the devil wants to come in and cause issues and and distractions and divisions and destruction among us you see in the natural in the natural these bodies have an immune system I'm not medically qualified, but I know that we have an immune system, which its basic function is it recognizes things that come into our bodies that should not be there, illnesses, whatever. And that immune system responds to those things that should not be there to defeat them. Amen. But there are also things, there are diseases or illnesses that are called autoimmune diseases. And what happens, they don't specifically know how these things happen. There's a few theories. But these things affect our immune system and confuse it 
and cause our immune system to attack the healthy parts of our body. That's what an autoimmune disease does. In the body of Christ, in the church, our sins are forgiven by the power of His blood and in His name, in the name of Jesus. Isaiah tells us that He took the stripes upon His back to provide healing for us. And so although we are still imperfect because of our human flaws, I don't think there's one of us that would stand to our feet and declare that we are without flaws. And even though we have these flaws, He sees us as complete or perfect in Him. And that's only possible because He sees us through His grace, through His mercy, and through His blood. And the righteousness that we have is not our own, but it is imputed unto us, the Bible says. That's how He sees you and I as individuals, but that's how He also sees us as His body, of which He is the head. Ephesians 5 and 27 says that He might present it, talking about the church, present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That verse of Scripture always blows my mind because it talks about a bride of Christ. It talks about a body of people that don't have spots or wrinkles or any blemishes and that are holy. And yet I know that by His grace, I'm in that body. And I've got spots and wrinkles and blemishes. And I'm not always holy. And neither are you, I hate to say it. So somehow all of us with our flaws and our spots and our shortcomings, He's able to see us through His blood and we know what we are, but He says, I see you without spot, without blemish, holy and ready for Him. That's the power of God. That's His grace, that's His mercy, that's the power of the blood of Christ. And so His body, this body, the church of Jesus Christ has an immune system, if I can draw that parallel, that is the blood of Jesus Christ, that still covers a multitude of sin, and that can still repel opposition, can still strengthen us, and can still heal us through any trial or difficulty that we go through. That's why when the devil accuses us, our defense is the blood of Jesus. When he comes and he says, you're this and you're that, we can say, yes, those things are true, but I'm covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That is our immune system in the body of Christ. But if we, when we get distracted, wounded, discouraged, whatever it may be, if we interfere with the blood and hinder what it does, we will begin to attack our own body some kind of spiritual autoimmune illness. Amen. When Paul wrote that statement to the church at Philippi of how Jesus would take our vile bodies and fashion it like his glorious body, it's the end of the third chapter. But I'm grateful that Paul didn't put the chapter divisions in there because the very first verse of Philippians 4, which I think should be that last verse, please, Justin, says, Therefore, my my brethren... Dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Paul said, 
while it's all going on and he's revealing himself and doing the work in his body, he said, hang on, stand fast. And my message to us as a church this morning is exactly the same. Hang on, stand fast. He's doing a work in us. He's wanting to reveal himself through us. And we are all flawed, every single one of us. And the sad reality is we don't see our flaws. We've got others to do that for us. But we all need to recognize we're under his blood. We're in his body. We're his church. He is our head. And when the enemy comes against us, hang on. Stay under the blood. Stay in the body. Don't begin to attack the body. Amen. What is, when everything's going great in a church, services are fantastic people are getting born again and everything just seems to be wonderful it's so easy to love the church and to love the body but when struggles come man this church men's leader was doing a good job last year but the wheels are falling off brother frost i used to think he was really good but nothing's changed he's still the same great men's leader but when churches go through stuff we start going Nobody has anything bad to say when everything's great. But when we do go through struggle, all of a sudden we're all failing miserably. When nothing's actually changed. We're still in the body. We're still serving the Lord. We're still doing the same things. You know, it happens in sports teams. When there's a champion team that are just defeating all others, and I like a little bit of sport, if you don't already know that, there is an attitude among them where even if they lose, you won't hear them say anything about their teammates. But when teams go through periods of being beaten week in and week out, sorry, Brother Steve, I have to use the Dockers as an example. But when that happens, what begins to happen in a team, you watch them on the field. When something happens, they'll say, why didn't you get that guy? Why didn't you pass me the ball? And they begin, and when that happens, the opposition knows we've won this game. It's exactly the same in the church. When we begin to say, why haven't you done this? I was taking care of this. You should have been taking care of that. The devil goes, I've got it. We're his body under his blood. Let's stand together this morning. Whatever it is that God allows to come our way, it is designed to cause us to reveal his glory, to be fashioned as his body. Let's not attack the body. Let's take the battle to the devil. Let's lift our hands and worship him together.